This morning we get to talk about one of my favorite topics to talk about, and that is the church, the church of Jesus Christ. I love the church. I'm giving my life to the church. And that's despite of at times being injured or hurt or disappointed by the church. In spite of those things, I continue to press in. I continue to devote myself to the work of the church because I believe in the mission of the church. The mission given to us by our Savior, Jesus Christ himself. The, the church of Jesus Christ is the hope of the nations because we have been entrusted with the gospel. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the glorious message of Jesus has been given to us to proclaim to the ends of the earth. That's why we exist. That's the purpose of the church. Now, a lot of people have different ideas about, about why we come to church. On a spectrum of health, let's say, a healthy perspective of the church. Some people want to come because they hope to hear some good teaching or hear some really nice music as we just have. Some others maybe came because there's free childcare or because it may be a place to find a spouse, you know, because you've been praying for that. Uh, but none of those things fully grasp the reason why God instituted the church by the word of Christ. We are stewards of the gospel who are called to build up other believers in the gospel to go and declare the good news of Jesus Christ locally and globally for the glory of God. That's why the church exists. And in Paul's message today to the Philippian church, and the section we're going to look at today from chapter 1, verse 27 to chapter 2, verse 4, Paul seeks to remind the Philippian church of this ultimate glorious purpose given to them by Jesus. They had lost sight of why they exist. They had become distracted and divided, probably because they had a, a building campaign and couldn't agree on what paint to color the foyer. No, something much more significant happening. They were suffering. They were enduring incredible hardship But instead of staying together in the midst of that hardship, they complicated matters by allowing the suffering to divide them. And this division was affecting their witness. This division was affecting their ability to actually accomplish or be about the work that God had called them to. So Paul, being led by the Spirit, writes to them, and he calls them back to their purpose. And he calls them back to a unity in that purpose, knowing that without their unity, they could not be faithful to the mission that God had given to them. And so here's what Paul ultimately wants to communicate to them and to us today through this, this piece of Philippians. The unity of the church is essential to the work of the church. If you're going to be serious about the purpose of the church, you got to be serious about the oneness of the church. They are locked hand in hand. Two sides of the same coin. The purpose of the church cannot be accomplished without the unity of the church. And the unity of the church is meant to further the purpose of the church. So let's read Paul's words of encouragement to the Philippian church beginning in chapter 1, verse 27. Here's what the Word of God says. It 
Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that you, for the sake of Christ, shall not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. So there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not only look to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. It's clear here that in the course of the Philippian church, Paul's focus has changed. He's no longer focused on himself or, or explaining his situation. He's no longer uh, encouraging the Philippian church by talking about how the Lord has used his current situation to advance the kingdom of God and how his, his future hope is sustaining him in the midst of that difficulty. He's now turned his attention to the Philippian situation. He's going to focus on what's happening in the church at Philippi, and he's seen some division. He's heard about some division taking place among them, and he knows the danger of that division. He knows the danger of that division to the purpose that God has called them to. And he sees how the enemy is using this moment of suffering, this moment of difficulty to sever division within the people of God. And he wants, under the power of the Holy Spirit, to change that. And so he writes them this message, a message in two parts, to remind them of their purpose and to remind them of the necessity of unity to achieve that purpose. He begins in chapter one, verses 27 to 30, to a call to steadfastness, a call to remain immovable to the purpose of the gospel. And then he reminds them of the provision that God has given them in each other to remain steadfast for the purposes of Christ. Let's consider each section individually in Paul's argument to see why he thought it was important for the church then and then for us as the church today. Verses 27 to 30 of chapter one, Paul gives a call to steadfastness, challenging, reminding them of not only what they believe, but what they've been called to in that belief, what they signed up for when they gave their life to Christ. In the midst of division, Paul says, you've got to remember what's at stake. He challenges them by reminding them of their ultimate loyalty or where their ultimate loyalty should lie. We see this in verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And in the language of the New Testament, it could be translated this way. Only behave as citizens worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. As Paul writes this, he's intentionally employing some political language because that's what's being challenged right now in the church. Where does your ultimate loyalty lie? Does your ultimate loyalty lie to, to Rome? 
in the emperor of Rome or does your ultimate loyalty lie with the kingdom of God and to the king of kings and lord of lords whose name is Jesus Christ? There are particular political overtones in this passage because of the nature of the suffering that the Philippian church is experiencing. Is it possible for politics to divide the local church? Only then, right? Now listen, Rome demanded loyalty. When you were conquered by Rome, it demanded loyalty. Its, its claim to fame was peace. Its claim to fame was prosperity in the midst of peace. And they, they demanded that you show loyalty to Rome. And over time, that loyalty to Rome became worship of Rome, specifically the emperor of Rome. Who else could achieve such peace and prosperity other than a God? So shouldn't the emperor of Rome be considered a God? And so throughout the Roman Empire, emperor worship began to become commonplace. And while there were exceptions to existing religious traditions in order to maintain the peace, at the time, Christians were not covered by that exemption, no longer seen as Jewish, but some rebellious sect. And so as a result, they experienced persecution from the Jews on one side, from the Romans on the other. They were suffering pretty intensely. And Paul is saying here, while it is true that every government is established by God, and there is a certain amount of loyalty that you should show to the government that God has put in place over you. When the moment comes that that government begins demanding worship of you that is rightly due God's, that's the moment when you, they've lost their right over you. There's gotta be a line that's drawn in the sand because there is only one person who is worthy of your worship, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, you need to live in a manner. Even when it's costly, you gotta live in a manner that Rome, the world, the Philippian people know where your ultimate loyalty lies and it has to be to Jesus Christ. And remember, these are not empty words from Paul, right? Verses 29 and 30, it's been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Paul's loyalty to Christ has been put on the line a lot of times. There's nothing like suffering or hardship to reveal your true loyalty. And Paul is a prime example. In the establishment of the Philippian church, right? He's put in jail. That's how part of the church started in Philippi. So he says, listen, you guys know that I've suffered for the sake of the gospel. You know I've been imprisoned for the sake of the gospel, but everybody in that prison knew why I was there. And the imperial guard right now, likely in Rome, there's not a question in the mind of people who are listening to me why I am here. And it's not for the sake of Caesar. It is for the sake of Jesus Christ. My loyalty will not be questioned. You know, they know, everybody knows. Everybody knows. I'm on team Jesus. So Paul says to the Philippian church, can the same be said of you? Seems like there's some division and loyalty in the church. And then that divided loyalty is calling into your to question your, your witness to the Philippian people 
around you. Guys, you got to remain steadfast because it's in the, in the face of suffering that your ultimate loyalty is shown. Listen, anyone can be loyal when it's easy. What about when it gets tough? Anybody can be a Cowboys fan in the 90s. What about today? No. Listen, in the course of life, it's easy to be loyal when it's easy. What about when times get tough? What will your heart reveal in that moment of difficulty? What will your ultimate loyalty be in that moment? Because friends, Paul tells us, you were not just called to believe. Verse 29, this is a stunning verse. It has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, we're grateful for that, but also that you should suffer for his sake. Well, there goes the prosperity gospel. Anybody that tells you that if you're faithful to Christ, you will not experience hardship or difficulty, the Bible says otherwise. And it's right there on the page, friends, verse 29. It's right there in the example of Paul himself, who was faithful to the Lord. His loyalty was unquestioned and yet experienced some of the most difficult, hard circumstances in the history of the church. You are not just called to be spectators, friends. You're called to get in the game, active in the work of the gospel, called to be participants, and it may cost you. How could it not, right? We're, we're in a war. We're in battle. We're, we're pushing for the kingdom of God against the kingdom of the flesh. And do not think that the enemy will go quietly. And Paul says, listen, and those moments of suffering, you should be encouraged because you should know that the gospel is advancing. It's working, right? It's, it's actually happening. If they weren't concerned about you, they wouldn't come after you. But because there is hardship, because there is difficulty, we know that the gospel is working. And it shows, not only in your heart, but in all around you, that this gospel is worthy of belief. It's worthy of your loyalty. The truth of the gospel is, is worth it. It may cost you at least in the short term, but it will be worth it in the long term. There's nothing like suffering to show where your ultimate loyalty lies. And this is not just a truth that's communicated in Philippians. It's throughout the scripture, right? And this is the whole point of the book of Job. Remember that story? Satan comes before the Lord. They start talking about this guy named Job. God says, have you, have you considered my servant Job and how much he worships me, how loyal he is to me? And Satan says, well, of course he's loyal to you. He's got it all. He's rich, got a great family, probably looks good, got it all. Satan says to God in Job 1.10, have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. Of course he worships you, but what if he took it all away? What if he removed it all? Would Job still worship you then? And thing after thing after thing, blessing after blessing after blessing was removed. And praise the Lord that Job remained faithful. His loyalty was shown to be with the Lord. And then on the other side of that display of loyalty, God completely restores him tenfold. Paul says, 
like Job. We've got to show where our ultimate loyalty lies for the sake of the gospel. The whole reason you exist is to push forward the kingdom of God, even when it's tough. And here's the beauty of that. When it gets tough, it shows more and more the value of the gospel. Don't be frightened. Stand in faith, remembering that whatever it is that's taken from you here does not even touch the promise of what awaits you there. So stand firm. Stand firm. Strive side by side for the faith of the gospel, not overcoming, not being overcome with fear, but being overcome by faith, all for the glory of God. Here's a biblical truth for us today. Steadfastness in suffering can be used for the advancement of the gospel. Got to remember that. Because you're going you're to face hardships. How you respond in that moment is a display of your ultimate loyalty. Because steadfastness comes from true belief. True belief leads to steadfastness, and steadfastness reveals true belief. Where your ultimate loyalty lies. So Paul begins by reminding them of their purpose. Reminding them of their focus, what they should be steadfast in. And then he calls them to unity in chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. Listen, this kind of steadfastness is a very hard thing to do. It's not natural. It's not natural. It's a supernatural response, as we saw in, in Paul's life already, to respond to the threats that are coming against them with confidence in the Lord. To say, I don't care what you take me or what you take from me. I'm going to remain faithful to the Lord. That is a supernatural response. God has given us provision to help us remain faithful to the work of the gospel. And do you know one of the primary things he's given us to remain faithful to the work of the gospel? You ready for it? It's each other. Look to your neighbor and say, God gave me you. Happy Valentine's Day. Right? Now don't make it weird. It's true. We are God's provision for each other. Not a single one of you is called to walk this walk alone. Not a single one of you can do what God has called you to do on your own. We need each other. Not only has God given us the gospel, not only has God given us salvation, not only has he given us the spirit of God to empower us, he has given us the church. We have each other for the work of the gospel and to remain faithful to the work of the gospel. Paul says to strive side by side for the faith. Verse 27, chapter one. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Reveal your loyalty. So whether I come to you or, or am absent, that I may hear of you standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Listen, it's not enough just to contend for the gospel. It's important that you do it together. It's not enough just to be strong in the faith. You need to be doing it side by side. You need to be doing it as a people. The enemy wants to divide us because we're better together. We're stronger together. The enemy, though, wants to get us alone. He's like a lion. And you know how a lion hunts. Does he jump right into the middle of the zebra pack? Is that what it's called, herd? Zebra herd? Does he run right into the middle of the, the wildebeests? No. What does he try to do? Isolate. 
Where's the sick one? Where's the hurt one? Where's the old one? Let me, let me make everybody start running so somebody falls behind. And then I'm gonna get my lunch. That's exactly what the enemy wants to do to us, friends. He wants you to be isolated. He wants you to be separated because when you are alone, you are not as effective for the gospel than when, than when you are with the people of God. Paul says you gotta be vigilant to remain unified. The work of the gospel demands it. The work of the church demands the unity of the church. And so, you know, in, in moments of division, it's, re, it's important to remind what unites you. We do this a lot in marriage counseling. Because sometimes in the middle of a battle in marriage, you kind of forget why you got married in the first place. I don't know if anybody's ever been there, but you start forgetting, you know, that one time she was really, you know, awesome and, and loving and encouraging. And all you see now are the things that she says negative about you. And so you, you start going back to the beginning. You start saying, hey, remember that first date? Remember that first kiss? Remember the, the butterflies that you had? Do you remember the time that you thought, hey, I could marry this person. Let's go back to there and help it inform here. And Paul's doing some marriage counseling for the church. He starts, he dives into chapter two by asking them some questions to remind them of what brings them together. Do you have any encouragement in Christ? Well, yes, obviously. I mean, we're sitting here today because God so loved us that he sent his only son to die for us so whoever believes in him could have salvation, eternal life, not condemnation. All of us have found encouragement in Christ. He is the author. He is the, the doorway to grace upon grace that we have experienced. And we're unified as a people because of our, our commitment to Christ, our common faith in Christ, and the grace that he has poured out upon us. Of course, there's encouragement in Christ. Do you have encouragement? Yes, I have encouragement in Christ. Okay, we have something in common there. What about any comfort from love of the saints? Okay, yeah, the church sometimes is a bad rap, but have you ever been blessed by the church? Have you ever been... Have you ever been blessed by a person in the church? Have they ever just loved on you and brought you a meal? Have they ever just encouraged you whenever you were down? Did they ever check on you in the hospital? Did, they, did, they, did you ever feel blessed by the church, the love of a saint? Have you ever experienced the provision that God has given you and the people of God? Yes, I have. Do you participate in the blessings of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the spirit? Have you, have you gotten a foretaste of the joy that is to come in Christ? Have you... Have you started feeling a little bit of that peace that God's going to let reign over you for all of eternity? Have you started feeling the satisfaction of all your deepest longings in Jesus that you know is not just going to last until you die, but for all of eternity? You bet I have. We got that in common too. How about this? Any genuine affection and sympathy for one another? Is there genuine compassion that you have for a brother and sister in Christ who is part of the very same family of God because they have the same spirit of God living within them? Yep, all that's true. I don't care what divides you. There is more that unites you, Paul says. You gotta get over this division, friends. It's what the enemy wants. The work's too hard to do on your own. You need to be unified, so stay together. Stay unified for your sake and for mine. And it's interesting that Paul says that in verse two. Complete my joy by being together. What does that mean? Well, in the same way that Paul is an encouragement to the church, 
because of his faithfulness in the midst of very difficult circumstances. He will be encouraged by the church remaining unified and together in the midst of their difficult circumstances. Our unity is an encouragement. Our unity is a testimony to the gospel, not only allowing the gospel to advance further into our hearts, but then out from us to the ends of the earth. So how do we do it? How do we walk in unity for the sake of the gospel? Well, luckily, Paul answers that for us in verses 2 to 4. He lists four things that are essential to gospel unity so that we can be unified for the sake of the work. Four things. Number one, be of the same mind. Two, love one another. Three, be in full agreement with one another, believing the same things. And fourthly, do not be driven by what is best for you, but consider others more than you consider yourself. I'm going to consolidate those into two primary ones, okay? Let's boil these down to two essentials for gospel unity from Paul. Number one, we must be in agreement about what is most important. And then secondly, we must be willing to sacrifice for what is most important. We've got to be in agreement about what's most important, and we got to be willing to sacrifice for what's most important. Let's consider these just for a moment because they're so important. Number one, we must be in agreement about what is most important. Do you believe that making disciples of all nations is the most important thing that we are called to do as a church? Do you affirm the mission statement of this body of believers that we exist to make disciples locally and globally for the glory of God? And there is nothing greater that we can give our lives to than that mission. I hope you do, because that's what we're about. And listen, if we're not in agreement on that, then we're going to spend our time disagreeing and fighting over secondary things that ultimately do not matter in comparison. Let me just challenge you this morning. Can I just get real for a moment? We've got to be able to distinguish between what is primary and what's secondary. So let me just tell you this morning. The purpose of the church is not programs. The purpose of the church is not music. The purpose of the church is not to check a box off some imaginary list of things that you think you need to do to please the Lord. The purpose of the church is to make disciples locally and globally for the glory of God. And guys, that's got to be our line in the sand. That's got to be what we make every decision on. Does this help us make disciples locally and globally for the glory of God or not? So can we just make a commitment to one another as members of this body when an opportunity for disagreement arises? Can we ask that question? Does it help us make disciples locally and globally for the glory of God? And then on secondary things, can we just ask this question? Is this a, an attempt of the enemy to cause a distraction from us being about our ultimate purpose? I hope that's some helpful categories for us to remember that our primary responsibility to exalt Christ here and among all peoples so that we walk faithfully after him, to know him and love him. Not just now, but for all eternity. We've got to be angry about the most important things. Otherwise, we're going to get distracted. We're going to, we're going to start picking our own purpose. 
You just can't do that. Secondly, speaking of which, we've got to be willing to sacrifice for what's most important. Now that we've agreed on what's most important, we have to be willing to sacrifice some of what we want for the sake of the church and for the sake of that ultimate mission. The most dangerous thing to the unity of the church is selfishness. There's nothing more unchristlike than selfishness because he's a definition of selflessness. It's the most dangerous thing, the belief that what I want is more important than what is good for the whole of a church. And like in any relationship, when you start elevating yourself above everyone else, it is a recipe for disaster. There are a lot of churches who have died and shut their doors because people considered themselves more than they considered their brothers and sisters in Christ. I just got word a couple weeks ago or a couple months ago, the church that I spent my time at college at in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, that I was on staff at, the Lord called me to ministry. I was discipled faithfully in that church that it shut its doors. It had to merge with another church because in 20 years, they went from over a thousand people in worship to not being able to support the church. Now, when you think about that, over a thousand people in worship and now 20 years later, can't even keep the lights on. Do you think that's beyond us? Do you think that couldn't happen to First Baptist Church of Irving? You bet it could. The Lord will remove his lampstand from this church if we don't get over ourselves. I say it with all love, right? Like we've got to be willing to sacrifice in order for the purpose of the gospel. Otherwise, we will become distracted and the Lord will close the doors of this church because he doesn't want us to be negative, a negative example of the gospel. Sacrifice is essential to gospel community. Selflessness is essential to gospel community. And here's the benefit, guys. When you're willing to sacrifice in here, it allows you, charges you to sacrifice out there. Because here's what it does. Every time you sacrifice, every time you consider your brother or your sister more than yourself, it allows you to, in that moment, recommit in your heart that Jesus is better and that what he wants, what's good for the whole church, is better than what I want. It's a process of sanctification, guys. Every time we sacrifice, we become more like Jesus who sacrificed his will for the will of God. Do you remember this? An incredible moment before Jesus is taken to the cross. He's praying before the Lord, weeping before the Lord. And he says to God, if there's any other way, if you can remove this cup from me, please do it. But then do you remember what he said? Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. That's in Luke twenty-two forty-two. I think we've got to embrace that Christ-like attitude, friends, in the church. Nevertheless, here's what I'd prefer, but nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Nevertheless, now what's best for me? What's best for the kingdom? Aren't you glad that Jesus went to the cross? Aren't you glad that now we have hope because the gospel message, after the example of Christ, we should be a people who are defined by sacrifice. It's essential for our Christian life, guys. You've got to sacrifice to be saved. 
You gotta sacrifice the self to come to a place of salvation to realize there's nothing you can do on your own to achieve salvation. There's nothing you can do on your own to find favor with God. We gotta release the self in order to be saved and we've gotta release the self in order to be about the mission of God that he's given to us. We gotta be generous. We gotta be gracious. We gotta be considerate and compassionate. We gotta be loving. And that only comes through the work of Christ and a commitment to sacrifice as he has sacrificed. If we fail to do this, if we fail to to strive to be this kind of people, zealous, eager, as we read in Ephesians 4 earlier today, eager to maintain the unity of the faith, we will become divided and distracted, and that's exactly what the enemy wants. How many churches have become ineffective for fighting over really dumb, dumb things? That's what he wants. So let's not let him do that. Let's not let him divide us. Let's be united in our commitment to making disciples. Here's what Paul's message is for the church then and us today. Walk in unity so that you can remain faithful to the work of the gospel. The work of the church demands the unity of the church. So, what about us? Are you challenged? I'm challenged this morning by the, the words of Paul here in this incredible section of the book of Philippians. I hope the Spirit's working on your heart right now. So let me ask you some questions to help navigate the conviction maybe that the Lord's kind of placing you under. Number one, does your life show your ultimate loyalty to Jesus? Does your Facebook page, does your Twitter page, does your Instagram account, does your time with your family, does your time in school, does your time at work, does it reveal an ultimate loyalty to Jesus Christ? Or does it reveal something else? In your heart of hearts, do you believe in Jesus? To the point when suffering comes or difficulty comes, your loyalty will be revealed rather than a lack of loyalty exposed. And I'd encourage you, if you're asking, how do I know? Think about a moment of difficulty. Think about a moment of of trial in your life. How'd you respond in that moment? Did your faith become suddenly inept? Did a bad foundation suddenly become revealed? Or even if there was a moment of weakness, your faith in Christ ultimately took over. Because steadfastness is birthed by true belief and true belief reveals steadfastness. What about this unity piece? Do you share in our common commitment as a church to make disciples of all nations locally and globally for the glory of God? I hope you do if you're a member of this church. That's why we have membership class, by the way, is just to remind you or to say up front, here's what we're about. So when you come and you jump in, here's what you know that we're going to be about. And Irving, let me ask you this question, friends. Do you think there are people in Irving who do not know Jesus? Do you think there are neighbors, coworkers, students who do not know Christ, who are believing in false religions that cannot offer 
hope? Do you think there is a need in this city to make disciples? Yes. And do you think there's a need to lock arms with other like-minded churches to be about this work that we are doing in Irving to expand our, our reach, not only in Irving, but throughout Texas, the United States, and to the ends of the earth? Praise the Lord. I pray that's a common commitment, a common reaction from all of us. And that, with that in mind, we would be committed to be instruments of unity rather than division. So let me ask this. In light of that commitment, in light of that need, are you a protector of the unity of this body or are you a doorway to conflict? Something my pastor who's a mentor in my life, Stephen Tramwell, always used to say is that the, the people are not enemy of the enemy, but sometimes the enemy uses people. You know that? And if we're not vigilant and on guard, a moment of selfishness can be a doorway to division. Be vigilant. And if I could, I'd like to address something very specific here in light of the, the political overtones of the passage. We need to be very careful, guys, about politics in the church. And I'm, I don't know about you, but the past two weeks, I've been watching, you know, trials and State of the Unions and a lot of political things. And I'm, I'm genuinely concerned about the future of our country. I've never seen it more divided. But what concerns me more is the potential for that division that's in our country to make its way in the church. 2016 was a difficult year to do ministry. We had people leave our church because we weren't publicly supportive of one candidate over another. I got to tell you guys that, listen, if in a small group Bible study or in this pulpit, we display more loyalty to a political party or an ideology than to Jesus Christ, we've missed it. And so I'm going to ask you guys, as your pastor, as we step into what may be one of the most polarized years in the history of our church, do not become a doorway for division. Don't let your small group become consumed with one party, one political ideology, more than our commitment to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because from the pulpit, let me say this. We are not more committed to the Republican Party We are not more committed to the Democratic Party. We're not even more committed or loyal to the United States of America more than we are committed to the loyalty that we owe to Jesus Christ. And may we never, never, ever put in the minds of someone who comes to our church a question about that. May we walk worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ above everything else. So, are you a protector of the unity of this body or a doorway to division? May we be committed to the unity of the, God, the, unity of the church because of our commitment to the work of the gospel. And who knows what the Lord can do through that kind of unified people here in Irving and all around the world. Wherever you are, would you bow your heads? Spend some time reflecting upon the, the truth of Scripture for a moment. Allowing the Spirit of God to move and work in our lives. Just a minute. We're going to participate in what I think is the greatest symbol of unity we have as a church. Taking of the Lord's Supper of Christ. It's a, a common moment of it's a moment of common confession.
where we together remind ourselves of what it is that unifies us primarily, and that's the body and blood of Jesus. The Bible also says that we need to take it in a way that's worthy of what it speaks to, what it represents. And so here's my question to you today. If, if you are in Christ, would your testimony throughout the week mirror the testimony you're about to give and the partaking of this supper? Has your, has your loyalty been on display this week? such that no one would be surprised if they walked in the door and saw you declaring your loyalty for Jesus Christ today. If you're in Christ and you can say with confidence that my loyalty has been on display, then we invite you to partake today. If you would say this week, my loyalty has been compromised, we would ask you to repent. And if you can get right before the Lord in this moment, if you can't get right before the Lord in this moment, if there's things that need to happen because of your lack of loyalty to Christ this week, then we'd ask you to abstain as an acknowledgement of the importance of this moment. And as a reminder to all of us, if you're not a believer, if you're not a follower of Christ, if you've never signed up on the team of Jesus to believe in him alone for salvation, we'd ask you to abstain in this moment and to see the common confession of this people, of our hope solely in the work of Christ. And after we partake of the supper, we'll get an opportunity for you to respond as well if the Lord's convicting you to a place of belief in Christ. Father, as the deacons comes, let's pray. Father, would you prepare our hearts for this moment? Thank you for this reminder of the unity that we have as a body of Christ and the work of Christ. Help this to be a moment where our loyalty is shown. May you be honored by how we partake of this reminder you've given to us the Lord's Supper. And we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Deacons.